Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, tonight is uh, the book of Revelation, session 61. And uh, we've been in this uh, study now for quite some time, going through a theme-by-theme approach to the book of Revelation. So a lot of times when you study a book, you might go verse by verse. That's not what we're doing. We're going idea or one concept at a time uh, as it's uh, seen in the book of Revelation. And so uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at demonology. So that is the the doctrine of demons, the the development of uh, demons in the scripture. And how how does that work? And how does that fit? And how does that fit into the end time storyline? And uh, what we're going to do uh, tonight is we're going to kind of dovetail off of the last session that we did a couple weeks ago, where we did uh, hell in the book of Revelation. We saw the development of hell, the abyss, Hades, uh, the lake of fire. We saw all that in the book of Revelation. Well, now we're going to be partnering really what we learned from that session, the fact that there is a real hell, with the fact that there's really things in that hell that are alive and uh, of all different sorts. And uh, one of the things as I was kind of preparing uh, for this message tonight that I was thinking about is the, the fact that the book of Revelation, which we understand to be the, the, uh, the book end of the Bible, Genesis the beginning, Revelation the end, and it's also the, uh, the book end of this age, the book of Revelation describing the end time drama and what's going to be happening. It's interesting to me that there is so much emphasis There is so much information about demons in the book of Revelation, about what they look like, about what they do, about what they don't do, about what they're permitted to do, about what they're not permitted to do. It's really interesting that there will be that much information about demons in the end time plan in the book of Revelation. And I think a significant reason for that, it's not the only, but a significant reason for that is the saints are going to need to understand how that works because where we're going uh, is going to be a significant increase of that realm in all sorts of ways that uh, are going to be really intense. And so the Lord made sure that the book of Revelation gives us great clarity about these things. And I, I just want to say it again. I don't want for us to approach things in the Word of God that are uncomfortable, scary, unpopular, or whatever other unword we would want to use as somehow different than scriptures and ideas that are exciting, exhilarating, enjoyable. We need to look at the Word of God and go, it's the Word of God. Like, we want to understand the Word. It was put in there for a reason. And so for subjects like tonight where it's like, you're telling me I gave up a Saturday night to study demons? Yeah, I did. I'm I'm telling you that. You gave up a Saturday night so we could look at what the Word of God says about demons in the book of Revelation, specifically in the end time storyline. So... With that, let's start here in uh, part uh, Roman numeral one, letter A, top of page one, comparing the kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light, and there's a kingdom of darkness. And that terminology is in the word. That that uh, thought process is in the word. We understand what kingdoms of the earth are like, and we can kind of take some of that thought process into our understanding of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of righteousness. We need to understand there is a kingdom. Of darkness. And that kingdom operates like a kingdom. 
just like the kingdom of light does or the kingdoms of the earth do. It's a kingdom. There's structure to it. There's, there's hierarchy to it. Next thing I want to point out, and that these are all non-revelation verses, I think. I think all of them are. Uh, in this first section here, I just gave you a few from Old Testament and New that are about demons of various sorts. Because you may have never thought about it before. I mean, if you've never sat down and actually looked at this subject, you just kind of think there's demons. There's just one kind of demon. It's just demons. That's it. And it's, it's far more complicated than that, far more complex. So I'll just give you a few verses here. Uh, Genesis 6, 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God, this is talking about angels, went to the daughters of humans, so, so girls, human, human uh, females, and had children by them. That's in your Bible. That's crazy. A half angel, half demon babies. I mean, that's or, uh, half, uh, half human, half angel. That's just bizarre. And it says they were the heroes of old. They were like the giants and the heroes of, the, of, of old because they had qualities about them that were half not human. They were half angel. That's just bizarre. It's in your Bible. Daniel 10, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse uh, 13. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. And I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is actually describing two, these aren't, this isn't the human prince or the human king. We're talking about, um, is this Michael the archangel here? Michael the archangel is not held up by a dude. No matter how big that dude is, he's held up by a principality. And so this is describing two different uh, principality forms or principality uh, uh, distinctives. One's the prince of Persia. The other's the king of Persia. These are two different titles for two different hosts. But just think about how that helps us to understand the hierarchy in the demonic realm. There's a king over that region, and then there's a prince over that region. Therefore, the prince submits to the king. That kind of a hierarchy concept, even within the kingdom of darkness. Uh, similarly, the prince of Greece, a uh, few verses later in the same verse, I'm sorry, same chapter, but go down here to Matthew 18, when evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word. So there's another type of demonic force. That's not the Nephilim. That's not one of these principalities. That's something else. But then Ephesians, uh, uh, gives us a very clear breakdown of different types of entities within the demonic realm and makes them distinct from one another. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against one type of demon. Nope. That's not what it says. It says we are not against our flesh and blood. We are in a real fight, however, but we're in a fight against four different kinds of bad guys that are all spiritual. Bad guy one. Rulers, bad guy two, the authorities, bad guy three, the powers of this dark world, and bad guy four, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, he just got done telling us our battle isn't against flesh, meaning it's not against humans. So right after that, he says, rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world, he's not talking about humans. He just got done saying, I'm not talking about humans. 
I'm not talking about flesh and blood. I am talking about spiritual forces. And he lists off four different types. See, this is a lot more developed, a lot more complicated, complex than just you got angels and you got demons and that's it. No, there's, there's more to it than that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these, specifically in the book of Revelation, some of this, how this breaks up. But before we do, I want us to understand uh, number two, Roman numeral two, the demonic realm is organized. I just read you the words of Jesus, Luke 11, verse 18. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? He has a kingdom. How can his kingdom stand? He says, if Satan's divided against himself, and he just got done talking about, they, they were accusing him and saying, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And Jesus goes, you guys, you got a lot, you need to learn about a lot of things. One, I'm God. <laughs> so, no. And two, if I was the prince of demons, how does the kingdom of darkness operate if all those demons are fighting each other? That's not a kingdom. Kingdoms have order and infrastructure. He says, that's not how the kingdom of darkness works. The kingdom of darkness has order and infrastructure. Now, we don't like that. We would love to just assume that the kingdom of darkness is just chaotic and every, all the demons are all just mad at each other and just, no, they don't ever agree and don't get, ever get anything done. They do. They agree. And they get stuff done. And there is a, a structure to the kingdom of darkness, just like there's a structure to the kingdom of light. So as we're looking at these different demonic characters in the book of Revelation or elsewhere, you need to be imagining them in the infrastructure of an organized kingdom, not as just random guys. You know, it's a big, angry, you know, horse, lion thing fighting a dragon, and they're always just mad at each other. Is the horse going to win or the dragon going to win? It's not like that. They're part of a kingdom that is operating with order and infrastructure. Uh, even to the point, Roman, I'm sorry, Revelation 9.11, it's one of our uh, Revelation verses, actually describes there being another king, just like we read a minute ago, the king of Persia. Well, this one even says the king of the abyss. There's a king over the jurisdiction of the abyss as one of these demonic roles. Not, uh, I don't want you to be thinking about what they look like. I want you to be thinking about what their realm of authority is. This guy's called the king of the abyss. He's got authority over the abyss. That's a, a pretty significant role in the kingdom of darkness. But then I gave you, uh, under part C, a bunch of others. I don't have time to go into all of them right now. Some of them are in Revelation. Some of them aren't. Some of them we already looked at a little bit. But my point here in part C on page 2 was just to give you a little bit of the, the hierarchy, the, the way that this, the kingdom is structured. Now, I don't have all the details of this guy submits to that guy. I just want us to see there are guys submitting to guys. I mean, there's, there are things happening in the demonic realm that is, an, is a kingdom, an organized infrastructure. Okay, So as we march into the end of days here, as we march into the end times, we need to be recognizing we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. We're in a battle against a very organized, demonic system with purpose, and, and it's not against that guy. It's not even against that guy that takes the mark of the beast and then wants to take your life. Your battle isn't even against him. It's against the forces that are driving him. And so this is the subject of, I don't know how else to call it. I'm just calling it demonology because I think it's the right word, but we need to be understanding the future of the church is a spiritual battle against demonic forces in the heavenly realms. And so 
for the book of Revelation to name names and tell us what some of those things are called and what they're going to do and what they're going to look like, it would be foolish for us to not pay attention to that because this is actually our future. And so we want to be looking at the book of Revelation and going, these guys fit into the storyline. These are part of the, the players. They're part of the characters or the, 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 uh, the game pieces on the chessboard. All right, start with uh, number three here, Roman numeral three, bottom of page two, the revelation of Satan. In the book of Revelation, it's real. It's obvious he is real. But I want to give you a couple of New Testament verses as well that talk about him as the prince of this world or the god of this age. Uh, Satan is a very real person. We don't want to be thinking of him as just an evil force. He is not an evil force. He is a person, a, a being with real physical uh, attributes and height and weight, I guess, and all those things. I mean, he's a physical being. And he's described in John uh, 12, 31, now the time of judgment on this world has come, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Talking about Satan. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. This is describing some of Satan's attributes, okay? But as the prince of this world or the God of this age. I just gave you those because I wanted you to see, we just got done talking about the hierarchical system. It's like, well, he's described as like the leader of the pack, okay? Even in this age, even on this earth. All right, he's called the devil maybe 30 times in the New Testament. But part of the reason I gave you this, right here, uh, Revelation 12, 12, and then 20, 10, the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury. Uh, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of, of burning sulfur. I gave you this because I want you to see this, uh, this thought process of the devil, uh, that term, the, that, that, you know, whatever word, the devil indicating he's like the main guy of all the devils. Like you could call him the demon, the devil, he is the main character of the demonic realm. He is a demon. He, he is, he's got all the demonic characteristics, but he's the, he's the top notch, the devil. And so all those that are following him, he's the big one. He's the main one. The dragon, he's called. In the Garden of Eden, when we were first introduced to Satan in the Bible, we see this serpent that's operating with cunning and he deceives mankind. It's the first rebellion of man disobeying God. And it's the result of the work of the, of the serpent. But in Revelation, we see him as being far bigger and more imposing than a little snake. See, I think when we read the book of Genesis and we see the serpent, I think all the picture books have got it wrong. All the ones that describe him as a little snake... Why would they even listen to a little snake? Why would they take a little snake seriously? This little snake. You know, he was colorful. I don't think so. I think he's the same Satan in Genesis as he is in Revelation. In Revelation, however, we get to see the full picture. He's described as a, an immense dragon, which is a serpent. He's described as an immense dragon that is probably beautiful, that is, that is powerful, that is strong. And so when we see this term, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil. See, it's the Genesis serpent. It's the same serpent. So I think 
when we, when we imagine Adam and Eve having a conversation or, you know, Eve having a conversation with a serpent, let's not imagine a three-foot snake. Let's imagine a beautiful dragon <laughs> because that's who she's talking to. And he's imposing and big, and she doesn't know he's bad. And he looks powerful and wise, and he's been around the block, and he, he knows who God is. See, that's what I think is going on. And so I think this verse, that ancient serpent, is actually a direct reference back to the Genesis account of the serpent in the garden that deceived uh, Adam and Eve. All right. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. There it is again in Revelation 20, verse 2. That ancient serpent. We're supposed to understand this is the one from, from Genesis 6 or uh, from Genesis whatever, 1. Um, and so we're supposed to kind of connect those dots. Um, all right. So the existence of Satan's throne. It's not just that Satan is real. It's not just that they, he has a kingdom. We're actually told in the book of Revelation, he has a seat for his tuchus. He has a throne. Satan has a real throne because that's what kings have. They have thrones. They lead real kingdoms on real thrones. And we're told that at least for a period of time, maybe indefinitely, maybe it moves around. We know that it's going to move at least at one point uh, in the end of the age. But at least at one point, we're told geographically where that throne was located on the earth. It says in Revelation 2, verse 13, top of page 4, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name, and you did not renounce your faith in me. And this is, uh, he's talking in, in this situation to the, uh, the church of Pergamum, which is in chapter 2 of Revelation. So at least in that setting, Satan's throne where he sits down to rule the kingdom of darkness was located in Pergamum. All right. In uh, Revelation, we see Satan shown plainly. The great dragon was hurled down. I'm on page four under letter E. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, I just want you to understand this. He's been able to operate in the shadows and lead the world astray before this moment. But when this moment occurs in Revelation 12, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period, he's hurled to the earth and no longer has access to the heavenly realms. Now he is bound to the earth only. Right now he has access to the heavenly realms. We all know the Job account where Satan approaches God's throne and says, Can I tempt Job? Well, how does he have access if he's bound to the earth? He's not bound to the earth yet, but he will be. And the time comes when he will be bound to the earth. That's when things get really troubling. That's when all the demonic intensity really goes through the roof because it says this, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Bad news. That is bad news. When that occurs, it changes the rules. No wonder it's going to be so hyper-demonic and filled with murder and antichrist, mark of the beast, everybody has to worship the antichrist or you don't get to eat system sort of a thing. It's because Satan and all of his angels have been bound to the earth with him. It's going to be really intense. He's going to be seen plainly. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out once again to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, to gather them for battle in number, they'll be like the sand of the, uh, on the seashore. This is describing Satan going out in a second campaign to allure people and to bring them to himself. Now, I just want us to remind us 
the way this thing started in Genesis in the garden was man seeing Satan with their eyeballs. So it shouldn't be weird to us that man can see Satan, especially in specific seasons where we're told he's bound to the earth in Revelation 12. Again, that's the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. Just like they saw and had a conversation with Satan in the garden, he's going to be on the earth walking around in order to deceive people and to cause people to worship the beast and all of that. He's going to be visible. All right, let's identify some demonic spirits here, part four. I want to start with 1 John 4.3 because I believe this will be the most prominent demonic influence, the most prominent demonic spirit in that hour. Uh, 1 John 4.3 describes the spirit of the Antichrist. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. You've heard It's coming, and I'm telling you, is even now already in the world to a degree, to a measure, but not like it will be. Oh my gosh, when everybody gets saved into Antichrist, when all those that are going to take the mark of the beast, I don't want to be the believers, but all those that are going to take the mark of the beast, which we're told is the majority of the earth, they're receiving the spirit of Antichrist like a Christian receives the spirit of Christ. They are receiving the Antichrist spirit. They're getting saved into Antichrist. And when they do, when that spirit is on them, is in them, is whatever them, it is going to be the most prevalent demonic spirit in the earth, the spirit of the Antichrist. So while that verse, 1 John 4, 3, is in 1 John, it's not in the book of Revelation, it's describing the period of time that the book of Revelation is unpacking when we read Revelation 13 and we see the whole system of the Antichrist and everything. John says here, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard, is coming. We've told you about what's coming, the end times. We've told you about the spirit of the Antichrist filling the earth. Well, I want to tell you, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in operation to a degree in this hour, just not near as what's going to be in in the days to come. I didn't know how else to talk about them. Daily demons. Revelation 9.20, we're familiar with this verse, but I just want us to think about what this means related to human activity on the regular. Revelation verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands, and they did not stop worshiping demons. The rest of mankind that was not killed by the plagues. So all of those that are alive in the earth at that hour that have already given themselves over to Antichrist, but they weren't just killed in these plagues, all of them won't stop worshiping demons. So they're into demon worship. It's their thing. It's part of their pastime. That's crazy. You're talking about the whole culture of people worshiping demons. Well, when you worship, whatever you worship, you get. So if they're worshiping demons, you get demons. And these people are going to be worshiping demons. It's going to be a part of the culture. But I find it interesting in Revelation 18 related to the harlot Babylon. So the harlot Babylon is going to be a global system that rises up in order to get all the peoples of the earth, is the intention, to commit spiritual adultery. Going with the false religion instead of going with Jesus. 
when the, when the harlot Babylon is at the rise, I find this interesting, Revelation 18.2, when she's judged, it says this, it makes distinction between those daily demons and what are called unclean spirits or impure spirits. Look what it says. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, top of page 5. She has become a dwelling for demons, category 1, and also a haunt for every impure spirit. Two different things. You got demons and impure spirits. So these are two different types of things in the demonic realm that are being seen right there in Revelation chapter 18. All right, moving down, because we've been looking at uh, the trumpet judgments, and we looked at uh, trumpet uh, 5 and trumpet 6, which is a demonic locust army that comes out of the abyss, trumpet uh, 5, and then a demonic horseman army that's got snake tails on the back ends of these horses, but their faces are lions. It's the most bizarre looking thing ever. You got these two demonic armies that come up out of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9. But I want us to just think about this for a second. This is describing two more types of demons, actually three. When they opened the abyss, smoke rose from it. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth, and they were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. We, look, we spend a lot of time looking at them. I don't want to look at them anymore. Man, those things are ugly. But here's the point. A horde, another type of demon. Another, and there's a bunch of them. It's not just one of them. It's not like just one guy got you know, some weird abnormality and morphed or something. It's a whole race of them or whatever, whatever the right term is, breed, type. There's a whole type of demon that looks like a locust, but it's got women's hair and lion's teeth and a, and a scorpion stinger. It's like, golly, that's intense. So that's another type of demon. But right after that, the demonic horses come up out of the abyss. There's 200 million of them. And these things, they breathe fire and smoke and sulfur. They've, their head looks like a lion. Their tail looks like a snake. I mean, this is intense there's another type of demon that's very different than the locust just as ugly but totally different call this the ugly big brother well but it says that these demonic horses are mounted that it's mounted troops 200 million mounted troops so it we just got done talking about the demonic horse but the guy on his back isn't a demonic horse the guy on his back is a different type of demon He's a different type. He's also out of the abyss. And we've given the description of what they look like, their breastplates and how they're armored and what they look like a little bit. But my point is, just in Revelation chapter 9, you've got three different types of demons that there's a ton of. 200 million horsemen, 200 million demonic horses. Who knows how many locusts are in that giant swarm that blacks out the sky? I mean, another 200 million. Who knows the number? This is really interesting. You're talking about a very ordered, careful, structured realm, a kingdom with different agents. Just like you've got, even in, in the natural army, you've got tanks and you've got helicopters and you've got footmen. Well, all those things serve different purposes. Well, in the demonic army, you've got similar arsenal. You've got similar kinds of, of guys that are part of the demonic army. All right, and then you got to go to the three demonic frog spirits because those are just crazy. Uh, Revelation chapter 16 describes them. Bottom of page 5, I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. You just imagine John. That dude had a really hard day. 
he had to write all this down. He just he didn't sleep for weeks. You know, after he had this revelation, he was just undone. So I saw these three impure spirits. They looked like what they look like, John. Well, sort of like frogs. Okay, where'd they come from? They came out of the mouth of the dragon. It was really weird when I saw that happen. He kind of burped it up. Then out of the mouth of the beast, and then out of the mouth of the false prophet, they are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go to the kings of the world to gather them for battle. These three have got a very specific assignment. I want you to pay less attention to the fact that they look like frogs and more attention to the role they play in the kingdom of darkness. They are commissioned to go deceive the kings of the earth. So these particular demons, they're like, they've got a specific date that they are like supposed to go do what they do. All right? But Revelation 12, 7 also tells us about warrior angels, warrior principalities in the, in the demonic realm because it says this in Revelation 12, verse 7, war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels, so just imagine the archangels, and whatever other big guy angels there are, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Okay, so now just imagine an angel, a, a, a Satan angel, a demonic angel that's two foot high with like a stick. That is not who's fighting Michael the archangel. That guy is not involved in this process. Whatever little angel that is, whatever demon that, that is not who's fighting. These are high-caliber, giant, huge battle angels. Picture it. Okay, you've got Michael and, his, and the angels that are fighting with him. And these guys are not playing around, and they're not two foot tall. And they are fighting a foe that is not two foot tall. These are battle angels, battle demons. You see it? So there's some, I mean, you don't have a war. There's no war. If it's Michael and all his guys, and there's two-foot-tall guys they can just kick, there is no war. It's like, oh, yeah, you remember what all the two-foot-tall guys, they all started getting mad and coming at us? That's not what's happening. These are warrior angels. These are battle, you know, ready angels on both sides. And there's a war. Thankfully, they lose, sort of thankfully. They lose, but what happens when they lose is they're bound to the earth, and they're cast to the earth, and, that's, and they are raging when that occurs. All right, I can get moving here. Um, demonized men. You've got the Antichrist, who is going to be fully demonized. It says he rises from the abyss. He has got the Antichrist spirit. He's embodying the Antichrist spirit. You really want to, you'll do yourself a favor in order to try to understand Antichrist. You want to understand bad guy Jesus. You want to think about Christ and who he is. And then flip it completely upside down. But don't take away the supernatural. Don't take away the, all those details. You, you want to leave those things in there. The spirit of the Antichrist is going to consume this guy. He's going to be empowered by Satan. He's going to be fully demonized. The false prophet will also be, if not fully demonized, just one step down from that. But then also the rest of mankind. Remember? They don't stop worshiping demons. They take the mark of the beast. They've got the spirit of the Antichrist. You're talking about demonized men, and I just want to get you thinking about this. We have never seen the level of demonic possession that is going to occur as, as in the end times. We've never seen that level of possession, especially when you're thinking about a culture. You're talking about men and women and kids fully submitted in as much as they can be to demonic influence. 
This is going to be really intense. There's good news. You knew I wanted to end you with some, leave you with some good news. The saints have authority over demons. Right now, Jude 1.6, the angels that did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. I just want to point out, currently, there's a significant number of these demons that are bound in hell. The problem is, in Revelation chapter 9, hell is opened up and stuff out of hell comes out. Now, we don't know, is that all of it? Or is it a bunch of it? We know it's at least a bunch of it. But here's what we do know. The description that we're given in Revelation chapter 9 of what comes out of hell has elements of snake, scorpion, and lion. All those are kind of woven into the description of what's coming up out of the abyss. The types of demons that are coming up out of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9 were given those descriptions. I just want to read you a few verses that we are supposed to be taking heart in. Luke chapter 10. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Talk, Jesus talking about authority over scorpions, snakes, of things of the like. Then we've got Psalm 91, verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Direct correlation to Revelation chapter 9 and the stuff that comes up out of the abyss. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 16. These signs will accompany those that believe. In my name they will drive out demons and they'll pick up snakes with their hands and will not hurt them. We can bind and loose things in the kingdom and in the kingdom of darkness. Uh, Mark chapter 16 verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And by having those keys, you will bind on earth what is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Through intercession, the saints will be binding and loosing. Through our proclamation and our, our, just our, our words and taking authority in the name of Jesus, there will be binding and loosing of demons. Now, there, we don't have time to get into it tonight. But there are many types of demonic forces that you as an individual have no business approaching. You don't even want to try. You will wind up in great, uh, in short order, you'll wind up in a mess of hurting. You don't, have the, you don't have power over the principalities in the air. You have power over the demons that are on the earth. You've got power over the spiritual forces here. Now, together, we, the church, as the bride of Christ, there is nothing that in unity the church can't accomplish through the power of God. But don't you go trying to go Lone Ranger and do it yourself uh, because you weren't given authority to do that by yourself. So let's go back. Instead of giving a fictitious could-be, would-be, let's go back to the Nephilim because that's really kind of the basis of part of this conversation. Okay, so, so if a Nephilim dies in the womb or when they're born... Where do they go? I don't know. <laughs> do they go to heaven or hell? I don't know where the Nephilim go. I don't. I will ponder on that this week. I'll spend some time praying, see if the Lord will give me anything. I don't know. Are they? Because the question is, are they 
hell-bound no matter what their actions. I don't know. My thought process would tend to be that they still have a free will and that they could still do good. They're just choosing not to. So that's my thought. But I don't have any Bible verses for why. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So uh, if, if the kingdom of darkness, if one of the primary operational dysfunctional principles is pride because the whole fall was related to pride, the rise of Satan, all that kind of stuff. How is there an organizational structure? Fear. <laughs> if you had nothing else, fear would get it done. Uh, so, I mean, if you got any culture where there is fear-based leadership, you can have all the pride in the world, but fear is a powerful motivator. And so where we're told we weren't given a spirit of timidity, all of them were given a spirit of timidity. <laughs> I mean, they were all like, like together, given timidity and, and the factor of fear and, and, uh, and uh, you know, all those, you know, different components. So, so as the, the kingdom of light, you want to you wanna be thinking about the kingdom, and light, of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness not as parallels but as opposites. So, so you want to be seeing the principles that are operating in the, in the kingdom of light. You want to be seeing how those operate in the kingdom of darkness in, in kind of an opposite spirit. So in the kingdom of light, it's through humility and through submission. Well, but in the kingdom of darkness, it's through fear. And that demon's bigger than me and can eat me. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's all that factoring too. So, but also, we don't want to be thinking of pride being the only negative operational principle. There's also lust and anger and all of that. So it's like that demon, his main problem may not be pride. He's got it, but it may not be his like the thing that he's the worst at. You know what I mean? It's like he might be really worst at sexual immorality. That might be what that demon's all about. And yeah, there's a little bit of pride in there, but that you wouldn't define that demon mostly by that, you know? And so, uh, so there's all those, you know, infrastructure components. But that great question. I mean, that's a, that's a thinking about the ordering of things question. This is, I was hoping that this is what this would produce, is these kinds of nuanced questions, because my point with this really is it's a real kingdom that's really operating, and you can't operate without infrastructure. So great. All right, so in the, uh, in the occasion that you are in some sort of, under the oppression of recognition of a principality over a region or over a system or over whatever. How do you deal with that? How would you encounter that? How would you feel about that? So I am confident that a king can come off his throne and come down and have a conversation with one person. But mostly kings are going to order minions to do things. That's mostly how things are, are working in that, in that structure. And principalities, in my limited understanding, have a lot to do with influence over regions and concepts. And so it's more the oppression you're feeling. And oppression doesn't have to just be, I feel icky. It could be, I feel lustful. It could be, but, but over a city or a state or a country or over a town or, or, or a village, uh, significant impact. So, so could a person have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with that principality proper? Yes, I just think that that's the off example. How does the church deal with principalities because the church can? We are the bride of Jesus Christ. You dismantle, you don't bind. 
that thing gained power over time and influence and all that. And it was given power by men, by men giving into, giving into, giving into. So you don't just, the church just come in and be like, okay, well, that principality's gone in the name of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. That's the binding and the loosing in the place of corporate agreement and intercession. And so it takes understanding of what's happening. It takes the discernment of spirits. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It takes the discernment of spirits to be able to know even what it is that you're trying to work against and then praying against it, praying against it. I mean, there is a spirit of hard-heartedness over America. And I don't know, is that a principality? Maybe. But I'll tell you what, you don't just bind the spirit of hard-heartedness and it just goes away. That is not what happens. That is a dismantling. That is, there was a lot of agreement that got America that way. There's a lot of agreement and intercession that's going to dismantle. And so it's, it's the place, it's actually the house of prayer. It's part of the reason that God said, my house is a house of prayer. That's how we get things done in my house. My house is a house of prayer. And so that's part of the reason that the Lord is restoring the house of prayer in the earth as the, the, is going to shift the expression of Christianity so that everybody is operating in that sort of mode, whether it's called a house of prayer or called to this or called to that. The terminology isn't really the most important part at all. It's the functional purpose of the church operating as a priesthood that binds and looses the purposes of God in the earth. And let's break down the earth into geographic regions that's binding and loosing the purposes of God in their city, in their town, in their block, in their church, in their... And so, uh, so high-level uh, demonic forces, you don't just address one-on-one. You, even the church doesn't just march in and point the finger in the face of a principality and think that that just fixes it. It's, it's the work of intercession uh, that we've been given, and, uh, and, that, and that's the priesthood. So great question. Uh, how, does, how does it look when... When, when we've got the Revelation 12, the high-level demons are cast out of the air. They're cast out of their heavenly realms, and now they're on the earth. Well, let's just say it this way. I said different. I'll just, I'll just read you a verse. Let's see here. Uh, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them... Before God, day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in the heavens, because Satan is gone. Rejoice, heavens. Congratulations, heavens. You are now Satanless. Next verse. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil's gone down to you. And he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. There is going to be the most ruckus ever on the planet when Satan has been thrown down to the earth. The right word from the heavenly perspective is, woe to you. I'm sorry. That's really bad. That is not, that is not a good thing. Hang in there. It's only three and a half years. Try not to die. Don't take the mark of the beast. It's going to be really bad. It's going to be really tough. But at the same time, the church will be operating with authority. I mean, you got to understand this. The house of prayer isn't just the right expression. It's also, when I say house of prayer, I don't mean what we're doing. We're one piece of a good idea called the church praying together to accomplish God's purposes and living in a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. That's just supposed to be normal Christianity, okay? 
we're doing it one way and we call it a house of prayer and we've got a sign out front, okay? But anything that looks or smells like that is, is the right way to handle stuff. God isn't just restoring that because it's a right idea. It's also a preemptive strike because Satan is going to be doing the opposite bad thing. Satan is going to be raising up a prayer movement. Oh, yeah, principalities are also going to be walking around the earth. Oh, yeah, who's in front of them? The giant dragon Satan leading the way. There is coming a great spiritual wave against the planet. And God is raising up the house of prayer as a preemptive strike so that there's counterbalance because we know where the story's going. Revelation tells us Satan and his angels are going to get cast to the earth and woe to you, planet earth. That is a bad thing for you. But rejoice, saints, for you will be operating as a, prince, as a house of prayer with all the authority, with signs and wonders, with revival in your midst, with the power of God on you. I mean, it's the idea that the church is going to be taken out of this fight is, is bizarre. This isn't the other guy's fight. It's the church's fight. The end times is the church. It's the body of Christ. It's, the, it's the, the bride of Christ's fight for what is right, good, and true in the name of Jesus in the earth during the time of the greatest trouble. So all the details of what it's going to look like, it, whoa, it's going to be bad. It's going to be intense. It's going to be worse. It's going to be more intense, but at the same time, the church will be operating in power, greater discernment, greater authority, will be prayed up and know how to operate. The Holy Spirit will be going, hey, tomorrow that principality is going to come into town. You better start praying now and bind the thing and loose the thing. We're praying and loosen it. All of a sudden, for the first time ever, when we pray, Michael the archangel shows up and fights the battle for us in front of our eyes on planet Earth because we bound and loosed. Michael. <laughs> and now Michael, because we can't fight that prince about it, Michael can. You see? I mean, this, we're going next level in where prayer goes and the impact of it. And we will need to, because woe to you, earth, the principalities are going to be on the planet walking around causing a ruckus. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.